this is part two of a two-part series. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned there, you know, Dask and you know how pandas came to be and how that was an enabler. But I also see kind of this counterforce right now of, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. And I'm not talking about Anaconda particularly, but I'm just saying generally, people are really putting the pay forward for investing in AI in general. Um, well, how do you feel about that? Is is it, uh, you know, does that set you off at all? Or do you think that this will help open source? Or do you think it was working against it? Um, what's going on right now with this climate of investment in AI and ultimately Python type tools? <clears throat> yeah, I think the, the general, this is, this is now you're getting the philosopher version of me. Um, <clears throat> I have a deep concern that, and we've done this before as a civilization, I have a deep concern that we're building technology ahead of of its utility, uh, utility to mankind and service to to the the better bettering of of our species. Um, we did it before with nukes uh, in the early days of nukes. It's really interesting to see people wanted nuclear power and everything, nuclear underwear, nuclear because uh, it glows in the dark. Um, you know, nuclear bubble gum, radioactive, like all the stuff, which is like obviously a terrible <laughs> idea now, but people legitimately were like, hey, it's atomic age, right? So I think the atomic age fascination and hype from the 50s are a great cautionary tale for us as we head into AI. Um, because wow. we can, get, I mean, people, you know, they were thinking about nuclear powered aircraft, nuclear powered rockets, where you just throw nuclear bombs out the back to get this amazing specific impulse. Um, you know, like, it's all great to try to push things forward in tech. But for too long, technologists and also the investors and people outside of tech, but who want, who are, you know, interested in it for too long, we've pretended tech is value neutral when it comes to AI or when it comes to machine learning, even just, just ML, we're building technologies that their whole point is to, um, amplify human cognition and to modify humans perceptions of the world in our cognitive loops. So every ML system of any merit or with any value, it's connected. It, it derives value or produces value by being connected to to the physical world in some way. And usually what it's doing is it's replacing wow. some human in the loop or some manual process. So what we're doing is we are making the world more brittle in this way, in a model way. We're making it more um, more synchronized or more, um, you know, maybe an accessible metaphor is this. Do you know the difference between sand and quicksand at like a structural level? Ever seen this? It's a really fascinating thing. There's a YouTube video on this. When you look at a, just a layer of sand and a layer of quicksand, they look the same. If you step on sand, it supports your weight. If you step on quicksand, you sink and you die, right? The difference is that quicksand, normal sand is just little grains of sand and they're all stacked up on top of each other and there's a lot of support there. Quicksand, similar kind of thing, but it's actually lots of air pockets inside it. So the sand is just enough to support the next couple of pieces of sand above it. And same thing with the next piece of cut sand above it. There's a great YouTube video showing how you make quicksand. And it shows that when any weight beyond a threshold is applied to quicksand, the whole thing just collapses. My concern with ML and AI is that we're gonna take a world that's you know messy and sloppy right now, but is somewhat more resilient. And we're gonna turn it into a world that's maybe it seems equally like performant, but is much less resilient, much more brittle. And we're going to have much greater institutional collapse um, when any small trigger comes. 
That's my concern. So if you remember the rolling, the blackouts that happened in the Northeast, you know, 10 years ago, when one transformer blew up and then it just sent the entire Northeast into a blackout. Um, if you think about cascading sets of failures, all these kinds of things, we're going to basically put computers in the loop and we're going to deploy cheap, cheap, simple, naive models into these places and, you know, take people out of jog, take context out of businesses. And we're going to build extremely brittle things. And that's my big concern with all this. A grim start to the morning. I mean, well, I mean, the thing about nuclear power is for the layperson, the destructive power is so palpable, right? Yes. And for AI, we seduce people by grabbing their attention and purportedly giving them what they want, even though we don't know where that leads. Right. So I think the the really cool, the really interesting thing about this, and and um, to take this to the next level of philosophy, and you t- and this is I blame this on you, Don. You just took it there. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. The danger, at least a nuclear bomb, is like super palpable. Like when you see this thing destroy a whole city, you're like, oh my god, that's like maybe we shouldn't have too much of that, right? What we can't see is the invisible rot, damage, uh, loss of context, brittleness, synchronicity, it's et cetera, et cetera, that these other systems provide. That that um, that you know over whatever what is it over adoption of or uh, of ml you know would would lead to the other thing is this though and we've never this is where like people who are worried about ai went not ai winter um the singularity excuse me the singularity and stuff like that this is where they're kind of missing how to convey this to the, the world because most of the world does not understand most people think of other humans as being the primary chaos agents in their midst right if i'm in a room there's a 10 cats it's like whatever they're just cats Found a room. There's ten people. It's like, okay, these people might do stuff to me. They might be nice people. They might all be like, you know, convicted felons. I don't know, but they're people. The people are the chaos agents. If I'm in a room with um, two gorillas, I'm a little worried because they're big, they're powerful, and I have no idea what they're thinking. If I'm in the room with an empty table, and on top of the table there's this little Alexa or, or Google, you know, Echo or you know, Amazon Echo or whatever, you know, whatever the little hockey puck speaker surveillance devices are. If I just have that and a little screen, do I feel threatened? No, it's a screen and a speaker. It's microphone, whatever. But behind that lies warehouses of supercomputers, decades of information about me, decades of information about my friends, decades of information about, well, maybe not decades, but you know, years of information about my whereabouts, every email I've ever sent, probably through some kind of email system. You know, the NSA has a massive data center outside of Moab. All these different things are there. Behind that screen and that speaker is a chaos agent of unimaginable complexity and sophistication. And we have that in every living room. Wow. Or or even just snark, right? I just mean, what? If we look at if we look at the election that um, led us to the current state of affairs for current affairs, um, they weren't even particularly that sophisticated they just had malice um they were sophisticated i would say they were sophisticated enough right what nature teaches about evolution is that you don't want to put energy into places where you don't need it you just put in enough so if you look at the actual research on what the uh, ira the the the, uh, you know the the russian manipulation um people what they were doing they were not coming in to you know they were doing things that were very very smart actually they were getting groups who were likely to be polarized even more polarized if you actually look at what they were doing they were funding um, Facebook groups and ads that were helping to get people more polarized against each other. They were funding, if you look at how China um, actually goes and engages in active internal political propaganda, 
they don't have people going out there looking for who's criticizing the government. They want a little bit of government criticism. In fact, what they do is they pay people to go there and say good things in just the right places to diffuse it. It's like in a nuclear reactor. You don't want it, you don't want a whole lot of um, of radioactive stuff together. You want it to be subcritical. So they put people in there to keep some of these um, anti-government sentiments subcritical. Because if all the anti-government stuff disappeared, people would know that the space would be actively manipulated. But if it's being manipulated well, then, just enough, then it's North Korea, right? Then it's North <laughs> right. Korea, right? Then and then so you know you live in this draconian thing. It's like, oh, we gotta you know hush hush and not say stuff in front of the government because they're surveilling everything. No, no, no. The smart government propagandists go make sure that you can say whatever you want about the government. But you're just never gonna feel motivated enough to go and look into what is really going on in Hong Kong because you kind of have you know two. You see two narratives. They seem to be preaching both sides of the controversy a little bit. But yeah, you know those Hong Kong protesters, their concerns are probably really not legitimate. And so the kind of manipulation that's happening, it's really, really smart, sophisticated at a population control level. So what is your what is your precautionary message? I mean, you kind of put it in there in philosophical terms, but boil it down more to your common everyday user. What is your um, yeah? So for for different levels of of sophistication, there are um, different approaches to this, right? If you're just Really, you like, I don't know much about computers, but man, that that last bit that Peter said just to scare the bejesus out of me, right? What do I do? Um, number one, get smarter about it. The stuff is coming. There are lots of lay books on, you know, there's books like from the, uh, every, there's like everybody, I'm just looking at my bookshelf here. There's Dataclism, there's Everybody Lies, there's um, Data Science for Business People. There's all of these books that are very accessible for people. They don't contain an equation inside them. But they explain to you how the thought process happens, what intentional Bayesian thinking looks like, how this stuff gets then uh, amplified and exponentiated with the computer systems we have, um, automated inference systems, all that stuff. These terms are big, but they're not actually that complicated. I can explain it to a middle school class um, on, a, on a chalkboard. I know I can do it. And so uh, people mm -hmm. can learn this stuff. Once you understand it, then it stops being muggles, <clears throat> muggles versus wizards, which is what we don't want. Um, what I don't want to see is this stuff getting such a magical hype bubble around it. Um, a perfect example of this is, is quantum right now. Like there's a magical hype bubble around it. Everyone's talking about it like they know what the F it is. 99.99% of people have no idea what it is. And why are we wasting our time talking about this thing, right? So the, I have the same thing with AI. It's like the things we should be concerned about, the lack of resiliency in our businesses, the long supply chains we have in civilization now. Um, all of these things are things we can talk about without having to evoke anything about AI. And when AI comes and destroys us, it's going to be because it exploits those weaknesses, right? So for people who are at that lay level, I would say you're not, you're not condemned to only be a muggle. Go and read, go to Diagon Alley, read some of the wizard books, and you'll actually know way more than you think you can know. Then for the people, the practitioners, the, the people in Silicon Valley, the tech people who are either funding it, managing it, or building it, I would say that we, at this point in time, as technologists, we have to ask why. We have to ask, to what end are we building this? We can no longer... Yeah, let me... Let me Pile on top of that with a with a clarifying mm -hmm. question sure. too, and let's switch the roles a little bit here. Now let's think about the data science now that are listening. You know, our five hundred thousand data scientists that listen to this podcast. What is the message about explainability, deep learning? You know, kind of what is that side of it? And there's been a lot of talk about explainability. With right, deep learning right. So this is perfect. Now. So for the data science crowd, I would say that um, the 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 
it's a mindset thing. Don't let yourself be boxed into mere technique, right? So this is like, always think about the full connected end of where your data product, your research artifact, your things go. And um, if you can't, if you find along the way, there are people who just want to reduce your prediction, uh, predictive activities or the models you build, whatever, they want to box those in and only use them kind of in this little thing here. They need to understand that model error um, and model assumptions taint the entire downstream of the process. And so don't let them box you in on that. Don't let them tell you this technique, this technology. You know, there's a lot of people who manage and try to use data science and have no idea what it is. And they're, they see some aspirational piece somewhere about this kind of technique will lead to this kind of result. It's never a technique. It's like saying this kind of weapon will win the war. There's never a weapon that wins the war. It's always people, strategy, and a whole lot of everything. Now, war is not won without weapons, but that's the same thing here. Whether it's deep learning, whether it's ML, you know what? If, if I'll put this out there, and all the data scientists can take this and use this, right? People are concerned about explainability in um, deep learning. If we had the similar concern of explainability on Excel spreadsheets, modern America would be a thousand times better because every Excel spreadsheet is basically of any significance within a business is just as unexplainable, except all the model variables are hidden. All the computational processes are hidden. All things are invisible. And in fact, which version of which Excel spreadsheet that Sue emailed to Bob is a big question a lot of times. So, so if you want explainability uh, in AI, let's start with explainability in Excel, right? Because there's no more, no less than that. And use that to make this stuff not be exotic. I mean, this is kind of the thing. The reason I say stuff like that is to get people, to shock people out of the idea because there's a total fetishization of technology. Oh, it's deep learning. There's GPUs. There's a quantum blockchain over here. F all of that. That's just technology. We can use that technology to do whatever you want. What is it you want to do? Right? Let's be honest about what you actually want to do. And if what you want to do is keep customers from actually paying down the full of their credit card, if what you want to do is get people more addicted to this thing, if then, then let's talk about that. And let's be very honest. Because if we do apply these technologies, we're probably going to get really, really good at doing that thing. And you may not like where that ends up. So let's think about that. Mm -hmm. So this is the thing I would say is don't let them box you in. Don't let them fetishize technology and hope. This is the thing I said actually in New York um, a couple of weeks ago. I was saying that the big lie is the idea that there is ethical AI. There's no such thing as ethical AI. There's no such thing as an ethical gun or an ethical car or an ethical airplane. We use these tools and technologies to ethical ends. So at the end of the day, a business cannot go and do unethical things and buy ethical AI off the shelf and they, they cancel each other out. That's not how it works, mm -hmm. right? You can't, your, your AI can't be any more ethical or less ethical than you are as a business. And Don, you're, you're right. We're going to have to split this into two sessions because this content is just way too <laughs> right. good not to do that. I, I'm going to just, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep asking. Well, he, humans first, I think, so, is a summation, right? It's got to be human. Uh, well, well, there's, there's an aspect. Let's talk about the business entity now. Now we talked about the scientists. We talked about the common person understanding it, but let's talk about the C-suite and let's talk about the change that AI produces. You know, even Anaconda, you know, that is, I've taken, uh, when you visited me at Deloitte before and other places, and I've taken, language you know, stacks like sask almost completely out of certain areas of the business and replaced it with hey go download anaconda and that had a huge impact and they made their life a lot better but it also imposed a lot of change um how, what's your sentiment or feeling on about that change that is 
introduced. Um, can you be more specific about um, the change? Like, is a change in terms of like, uh, oh, this group has to retool now onto the open source stacks? Is a change as in like? I, I think yeah, that's a good that's a good question. To clarify the change uh, and what I prepare people for, they say, well, will AI take my job away? And, and I say, no, not necessarily, but it may, may change your job or may change the way you work with the problems you're trying to solve. And, and sometimes it does mean that, like, I've taken call centers that were not automated at all, and I've automated a lot of it successfully using AI and had great results doing it. But did it mean that people changed jobs? Yep. Ultimately, yes, it did. Um, so, you know, and then a lot of people don't like that idea. They say, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want I, you can't do my job as well as I do, is what I, what I hear a lot. Um, but the reality of it is, is there is a lot of inefficiencies in business and there's a lot of low hanging fruit that can be solved with AI and machine learning. And I'd like to solve those problems and make things better. But, you know, I do get a lot of pushback on how that's going to change the organization. I guess at the end of the day, yes, there will be a transformation of a lot of jobs and roles. But my concern is that people are not. Um, I think we need to move beyond a job model. I think actually what we need to look at is, um, you know, if if the business is, you know, here's a way to think about it. Here's a way to think about it. Maybe the call center is a poor example because those a lot of those workers tend to be contractors. They don't have a lot of business context, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're a store and you automate certain aspects of checkout or you do certain other kinds of things, instead of taking those other people's jobs away and saying, you know, we don't need you in this job anymore. If the person is familiar with the store, familiar with the community, familiar with people, um, maybe what you think about is, hey, on the same cost footprint, can we actually build a much more amazing shopping experience for for our customers, right? Can we actually do things? Can we actually take these these people who have been walking the store for a decade and they see the patterns of buying and have them go and put together sample meal things, the end caps? Like, can we do business innovation that captures the context and the knowledge these people have and actually provide more amazing things. That's the right way to think about it. Yes, um, I, I tend to agree with that and allow pe people to become more experts in you know, more intelligent activities. I mean, data entry is not exciting. I've done it before, right? And it can be automated. It's automated, a meditation. So practice. why not? <laughs> That's a, that brings up, so kind of flip gears here a little bit and, you know, it's easy to get into these very technical, philosophical things, uh, but what do you wake up for? What do you wake up in the morning looking forward to in a day, Peter? What is, what is something personal? Life is pretty good in Austin, too, right? There's good. There's good food trucks. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, there are. Yeah, um, I do. I do like food, um, and and so you know, food is my love language. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. I get up in the I get up in the morning. Uh, well, you know, to, to, to be blunt, I get up in the morning a lot of times because I have to, right? The kids are going to run in and jump in the bed whether I want to wake up or not. Um, the uh, But also what I look forward to is that, um, that, man, there's just so much to do in this space. And uh, as much as I might rant about, you know, so-and-so doesn't get it and there's too much hype and all this stuff, I'm also excited by the – I think I have to be honest with myself. I'm excited the prospect of being able to – make a difference in that, in that, right? Whether it's having a conversation with you guys and getting a message out about this kind of perspective, um, whether it's, you know, um, you know, 
randomly tweeting angry things about Trump or whatever it is, you know, um, I'm trying to participate in the conversation around some of this stuff. Um, and, and also with the business, uh, we have so many good people, uh, at the company and then in the, in the greater kind of ecosystem, um, that, uh, you know, when, when I, when I get my head out of the day to day and the kind of daily grind of stuff, and I think about what is that we're actually trying to do, we have this amazing opportunity to completely change, um, how businesses are run, how they're thinking about their interactions and relationships with their customers and with their ecosystems. That's it's super, it's like Medici level stuff, right? We're kind of at that kind of moment in time. Um, and wow, what a privilege to be able to be part of it. You know, a little personal story. I was sitting in your desk literally when I was waiting for you one time back in Continuum's All, office, all the new offices are much fancier. I'm sure they are. <laughs> and I, I think you secretly, you were in a meeting probably getting some initial funding because I know it was a very important meeting. So I just sort of hung out. And a couple of your employees walked up to me and said, man, I really I really enjoy working working with Peter. I never t- told wow. you that. I didn't want your- Oh, your I, I have to more it. to add on but this you know, one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Randomly, they came up to me and they, you know, I talked to them about their background and then I then I hired them. No, I'm just joking, I didn't hire them. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I guess that's, and I, I relate to that mentoring aspect, I think, is that, and there's only so many hours in a day, but, you know, do you still mentor and, you know, how, how can you even fit that in? You know, and you did mention earlier about starting a project, you know, with your son and not being, you know, needing to contribute more to it before just laying it on somebody. But do you still have that in you or do you have space in, in your life for that? Um, I, I, I like to think that it's kind of a, just an aspect of, of my deliberate practice uh, whenever I can. Um, you know, people who explicitly come to me with questions around career or mentoring kind of things, I try to take those questions um, and and engage as as honestly and with as much presence and uh, intentionality as I can. Um, yes, I, I feel like that's I'm I'm wired to teach. Like I really love that. You can sort of hear me going on and on. <laughs> so the answers to your questions, I sort of sort of get that from my dad a bit, kind of the professorial thing. But um, also, I feel like um, I have a great deal of empathy um, and. Uh, with, with people who are struggling in different places or have questions and, you know, a lot of unknowns, because I feel like that's where I have been a lot of times. So I try to help out where I can. That's just kind of the point. I start. Well, you know, we're, we're way beyond time. Um, And even if we want to fit this into two episodes, we probably should give you an opportunity to do kind of a closing and a sentiment, leave some, a leave behind whether, you know, Hey, it could be a pitch. You could say, "Hey, download Anaconda," or you know, or "Hey, here, here's something to think about in the world to make a better place," or, or kind of a closing statement, Peter. We have a tendency in tech to just treat well, treat it as tech, and it's in a box, it's in a bubble, it's a thing that's just it's tech, and we use it. It's generic, value neutral. It does whatever. I think we've seen now with social media, we've seen now with ML kinds of you know, all these ways that ML has gone wrong in in the world. Um, we see that tech is not just a bubble. It's a Pandora's box. And there's things that can be used for good and for bad. It carries values. And more importantly, the kind of MLAI stuff we do, it it it, um, it enhances and amplifies the values of the business. So what it does is it forces us as practitioners and it forces businesses that adopt it to have to be able to, they have to be able to have well, here's a funny thing about business, and I'll put a I'll put a little uh, shout out to to my buddy uh, Venkatesh Rao, uh, a ribbon farm who wrote this great thing called the Gervais Principle ten years ago, 
about the different games that run inside business, you can put all the regulations you want. You can put all the institutional guidelines you want. You have all these things, people sign, retinal scan here or whatever. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because humans are humans, bunch of hairless primates, and we're going to go and create politics around it. So it, even if you put all these controls in place, if people are not really, really bought in, if they don't really understand what's going on, then um, the data scientists are just going to be fodder for when some business process goes wrong. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on AI Podcast. You can reach us at ai-podcast.com or find us on Spotify or iTunes. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon.